0: It took a global pandemic for me to realize that compulsion within me that was saying like, cook, 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 must cook. It was not actually the part of my brain that was like, let's turn off and relax. It was the part of my brain that was like, let's not deal with our scary thoughts. (laughs) But, you know, turns out my inner mechanism has a hell of a marketing team.
1: All right, so, Here I am. I'm in my basement right now. My basement is usually where my living companion DJs, but today I'm here with full podcast setup to launch the Healthyish podcast, episode number one. I'm Amanda Shapiro, the editorial director at Bon Appetit and the founding editor of Healthyish. But before we dive in, I want to take a look back. When Healthyish launched in 2017, we talked a lot about loving delicious food. And how to bring a note of health into that without it feeling prescriptive or buying into this idea of diet culture that's so pervasive. And I've been really proud of the content that we've put out and the conversations we've had on the site. But obviously, as time passes, the conversations change and evolve. And I can say for me personally, wellness has felt really challenging in the last year and a half Knowing that we're alive and healthy and being so grateful for those things while at the same time just really having a hard time negotiating the landscape of food and bodies amid a global pandemic, it's had a big effect on a lot of things. What I'm cooking in the kitchen, what I'm not cooking because I'm so tired of cooking But for the first episode of the Healthyish podcast, I do kind of want to talk about how the last year has affected us and how we've been thinking about our health on the whole. So we have two really incredible guests joining me today to give us their perspective on redefining health. The no-nonsense dietitian and die-hard Jersey girl, Vanessa Rossetto, who's going to drop some knowledge about diet culture You might have caught her in the Healthiest issue of Bon Appetit back in February, sharing her POV as one of the few Black nutritionists in the field. Through her practice, Kulina Health, she's helped hundreds of people develop a better relationship with food, meeting everyone where they are on their health journeys. She's also currently working on her first book. Here's a little preview straight from Vanessa.
2: Really like telling people, like, this is my nutritionist complex. These are fad diets. This is what all the studies show. Navigate how you want. So it'll just be, Like a fun nutrition book with like some F-bombs thrown in because, you know, that's how I talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But before we get to Vanessa, I want to bring in a close friend and colleague whose journey with cooking and health is one that I think a lot of us can relate to. I know I definitely can. Bon Appetit's very own Christina Che, and she's known by a lot of us and by me as Che. She's a senior editor at Bon Appetit, and she also writes a newsletter for Healthy-ish called What's Che Cooking, which is always a delight. It's not to play favorites, but it's one of my favorite things about Bon Appetit and about Healthy-ish. Hi, Che. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Tell me where you're Zooming in from. Live from a closet. Not even my closet. It's my roommate's closet. I have this memory that just came back to me of talking to you while you were in this closet. In an earlier iteration of the of the podcast, right during like the beginning of the pandemic.
0: I know, dude. That is, um, that's the last time I was in here. <laughs> it's like one, one year ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Feels like a really nice bookend to the to the horrible year that we've all had. <laughs> I want to talk about a lot of things, but first, I want to talk about the newsletter that you wrote for Healthiest, and just hear from you about what prompted you to write it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think that Julia Tertian, who wrote this cookbook that came out a few months ago called Simply Julia, she has an essay in there that really helped me coalesce a lot of my own thoughts around the ways in which we learn what health is, the ways in which we learn to perceive our bodies. There was a line that really stuck with me. And it was one of those essays, you know, where I was reading it and I was like highlighting every other line. But one of the lines that I felt most compelled by goes, For so long, whenever I felt fat, or what I deemed fat, it was almost always a way to describe anything other than happy. Not only had I equated fat with anything other than happy, I had set up a tiny, miserable binary for all of my feelings to fit into. And of course, that's sort of the thought that led me to kind of explore the ways in which I struggle with my own, my own binary. And one thing that I feel kind of grateful for coming out of the pandemic is that there does seem to be this like shift in the discourse that's happened in terms of the way people talk about like what's really going on with us. Say more about that. What do you mean by the discourse? Even in, even in day-to-day interactions with friends and stuff where I kind of delight in the idea of normalizing, responding to how are you with like not great. <laughs> um, or like are you okay being like no um, <laughs> but is anybody and um, I don't know I feel like there's just more of a sense of honesty that comes out of just having time I think to examine and assess what's going on with you when someone asks like how are you doing how are you feeling like what's going on with you at least in my experience I've never before in my working life kind of had the luxury of time to step back a bit and make a true assessment of what maybe I needed.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think you would have read that essay a year ago and been able to think about the ways that you related to it and be able to express that in such a vulnerable, and eloquent way, you know, had you not had that time?
0: Oh, no, 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 no. And, and a large part of that is because... I wouldn't have been able to get here if I hadn't had a few months of a therapy under my belt. you know. And I think without therapy, without making space for that in my life, which I was very fortunately able to do, I wouldn't have been able to take a step back and look at the ways in which cooking was sort of like this activity that was meant to kind of mask or or quell anxiety but not really in a healthy way.
1: Let's step back a little cuz I want to talk about your relationship to cooking and how it relates to your relationship with your body and food, but I want to also talk about what your life was like before the pandemic and how that changed radically. I knew you pre-pandemic of course and you knew me and our lives were, you know, they were what they were. They were very, um... Right.
0: I mean, look, honestly, sometimes I'm amazed looking back at the pace at which I was living my life. And I feel like I look back and I'm just like, how much longer do I think that could have gone on before I just plotzed, you know? Um, (laughs) I know. Like, just totally lost it. I think for me, what that looked like was just I've always kind of been a yes woman. I I think that's just how I am naturally inclined to live my life. It's like, I want to go to work and then I want to go to spin class and then I want to go out to dinner and then I want to come back home and cook my own lunch so that I can take it to work the next day. And then I'm going to bike to work. I'm going to do it all over again. And Yeah, um,
1: you have this huge appetite for life. Yeah. (laughs) You were like the queen of the like 11 p.m. cooking projects.
0: Right, right. And it's funny because I remember kind of reveling in what i thought that was doing for me i was so into the idea that these 10 30 p.m like after everyone had gone to bed like cooking sessions where i was alone in the kitchen like my roommates had gone upstairs whatever i was so into the idea of it being like my meditative zen zone i was like this is how i'm relaxing it's like no you're not you're being a psycho um (laughs) and I wasn't meditating. I wasn't relaxing. I was filling my mind with the minutiae of what do I need to prep? What do I need to wash? What do I need to slice? So that my brain could not contain a single other thought from my terrifying little brain.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And we talked about this. I remember, like, I mean, the reason we have hobbies in large part is to help us deal with the stresses of our lives.
0: Right. And what's funny is like, you know, that that whole, that whole way of living, I don't think it's inaccurate to say that it was all primarily motivated by the pursuit of health. You know, like I was using cooking as this activity um, that I marketed to myself as a way of relaxing and de-stressing. And I would often tell people that cooking was my therapy. And it's funny because it's not like I would cook and then feel relaxed after that you know I would feel like totally chaotic and kind of stressed out and
1: yeah and that feeling can become its own kind of addiction and cycle of like I'm I can only go to bed if I feel totally exhausted and stressed out because that means like I did all the things I did it right if I'm if I'm this tired
0: yeah and it took a global pandemic for me to realize that that compulsion within me that was saying like cook 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 must cook um was, you know, it was not actually the part of my brain that was like, let's turn off and relax. It was the part of my brain that was like, let's not deal with our scary thoughts. Um, But, you know, turns out my inner mechanism has a hell of a marketing team.
1: Okay, let's just take a beat and hop over to Vanessa for her hot take on COVID cooking.
2: Nobody is out here crushing it. Nobody's making six-course meals every night. I do think that's like the life lesson of the
1: last year is literally nobody is out there crushing it. No. I'm sure some people are and like great for them,
2: but nobody I know. My cousin actually went to culinary school and graduated first in her class. She makes pasta with butter every night. She has like a full chef kitchen. (laughs) She's like, her kids are like older. One is in college. One is like in high school. So it's not like she's chasing after people all day. She's like, I'm like, what'd you eat today, Michelle? She's like pasta and butter. Oh my god, what a flex. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> and what do you say to her? I'm like, good for you, sis. She's like, <laughs> owns it. She's yeah. like, I don't want to eat I don't want to eat vegetables. I don't want a juliana carrot. I don't want to touch a knife. Leave me alone. <laughs> like, great. It's like how many vegetables can you roast? How many? It's just a lot. That is the truth. And so everyone's coming to me and they're just like, I'm so bored. I have no inspiration. I don't know what to do.
1: I'm so bored. I have no inspiration. I don't know what to do. These are all things that have come out of my mouth in the last year, and it's where a lot of us are at the tail end of this pandemic. And you know what? That's okay. After the break, we'll get back to Christina Che, who wrote a great newsletter earlier this year about something we don't often talk about at Bon Appetit, cooking less. So you wrote the newsletter about cooking less and you've been, you wrote this one recently about redefining health for yourself. How did the two connect for you? Like how does cooking or cooking less relate to how you're feeling about and in your own body? Mm, that's a good
0: question. I guess, you know, if I'm cooking for myself, I am probably trying to be conscientious of cooking a lot of vegetables and whole grains and legumes but sometimes I'm just really tired and that's like not what I want to do. And I think it's kind of important to honor that part too. And so sometimes on some days, healthy means not cooking. And when I'm not cooking, frankly, I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm ordering takeout because I want it. And if yeah. you need something else, I can't think of a better way of honoring your own health than by honoring your needs, you know?
1: So this is where things get interesting. What Che is talking about is something nutritionists call intuitive eating. And the concept behind intuitive eating sounds basic, but it can be hard to do for a lot of us. Here's Vanessa for more.
2: Yeah, it's just to say that you will eat what you want when you want in cycles, Right. And there's no labels on it on food. All food is good food. And, you know, definitely you should have fruits and vegetables. But if the snacks for today are all cookies, that's okay too. It's, it's not a problem. And I don't necessarily agree with it. And so, and that's okay. Right. For me, I, I don't think that people should just eat whenever they want, whatever they want all the time. It doesn't really feel good to me because mm-hmm. listen, intuitive eating, maybe it works for you. It's fine. This feels a relationship with food. I'm down. Good for you. Just like get off the gram and stop telling me this is the only way because it's not.
1: <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. I mean, intuition is a tricky thing, right? If you have struggled with an eating disorder and your intuition is to restrict, eating intuitively is I think a lot harder than it sounds for a lot of Correct.
2: people. Correct. Correct. It's really complex. It's hard to see. And I just think that it's the language that's out there all the time, but it It almost, like, dumbs us down. Like, of course I don't tell you to count calories. Of course I'm not into fad diets. Of course if you have – there are triggers that make you restrict, then we're going to work around that.
1: In reality, intuitive eating goes a lot deeper than this. It's different from emotional eating, which is reactionary, something we do in response to often stress from the outside world. Intuitive eating is really about tuning into your body's wants and its needs when it comes to food. And it can be an amazing tool for people to break free of diet cycles and to stop obsessing over a number on a scale. Vanessa, when you're working with patients, how do you talk to them about the difference between health and weight, for example, knowing that emotions are always going to be involved?
2: Yeah, so like for all of the practitioners out there, right, this is what we talk about. This is why there are disparities, all these health disparities among different races. You have to leave the judgment to the side. But I think for very long, Amanda, that dietitians are rich, white, and thin. Mm -hmm. So like, if I'm black, LGBTQ, 300 pounds, poor, how am I going to come talk to you? Not seeing anyone that looks like you in a space doesn't make you think that that is for you. right? Right? Like, if you live in a housing project and you go to a nutritionist that's telling you to buy $50 collagen powder like how is that going to work or i was on a panel last night with some, a dietitian and they were asking what should you avoid and so like these girls are like high fructose corn syrup and gums and blah, blah. and i'm like okay but if you live in a food desert and you you got to grab a yogurt and all it has is high fructose corn syrup, are you going to tell that person not to have it? So my message is always like you can't say do this or do that, don't do this or don't do that. It's not going to work because you don't you have to meet the person literally where they are and understand who they are as an individual so that you can effectively help them. I'm not going to strip you of food or anything, but I'm going to teach you how to make better choices. Who am I to say that you need to lose weight? That's not what you called me for. What did you call me for? You called me for the fact that your triglycerides are elevated. Okay, so let me give you the language around elevated triglycerides, and then the weight will likely be a byproduct. But it's really about checking my bias and saying, it's not about me, it's about you and what you want to do. And all of you, don't slide into my DMs tomorrow because I don't I'm, I don't care.
1: <laughs> they definitely, I'm sure they will. But
2: they will, they will.
1: I know. <laughs> what has... What has the last year been like for you, cooking and food-wise? I'm curious how you've been feeding your family and, and keeping yourself motivated.
2: You know, we're we're very lucky. My mom cooks, so we go to my parents' house on Sundays and, like, pick up food.
1: Bless that <laughs> mom of yours. Let's get her it's on not, the podcast.
2: Yeah, it's not for her. It's not for me. It's for the children. You know, like like Rocco, my son, will be like – they call her Yaya. Yeah, Yaya, yeah. yeah, yeah. mommy doesn't make the rice like you make it. She's like, okay. Um, and,
1: that's the way to grandma's heart. Only you can do it. What do you make for
2: yourself when you don't have to cook for anyone else? Okay, so I make a lot of, like, ratatouille. It's so mm. easy. And it really heats up really well, right? So you got, like, the eggplant and, the, you know, the tomatoes and whatever. And I'll do goat cheese and a little um, balsamic glaze. It is good. And now I started putting lentils in it. It's, like, it's legit.
1: And you just have it plain but just the ratatouille and the lentils all together and then the goat cheese on top after you cook
2: it yep yep it's good stuff it's really good
1: and how about you che
0: what are you cooking oh i'm actually like on a weird off eggs thing right now i just i ate like so many eggs uh like two weeks ago and now i just can't look at them
1: i know you're waiting impatiently for asparagus to show up in new york
0: i know i have a secret i bought it anyway and you know what? It was good. I've been eating asparagus for months. Just don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, but what have I been making recently? Well, in one of my more recent newsletters, I was talking about how I've started getting to sourdough a little bit, which is actually, wow. which is funny. So I got, I got some starter from our friend Claire Saffitz. And, um, tell everyone what you named it. Oh, yes. I've named my starter Claire 2, T-O-O, which mm. is very specific reference to our other friend, Emil Stonick's dog, whose name is Chunky 2, also T-O-O, inspired by the original T-O-O, Limited 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Claire 2... And I are just like going through some 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 adventures right now. Right? I have
1: to rib you for getting into sourdough at the end of the pandemic after like most of America discovered sourdough. I
0: know. Look, you know what? It's it's completely <laughs> on trend
1: with everything else I've ever gotten into in my life. So, like, what's your back pocket food that you know is always gonna make you feel both mentally and physically calm?
0: Mmm. Good question. Mentally and physically calm is definitely just something in the soup realm. So, I've been making some dashi again, kind of got off that track for a little bit, but I ordered some really nice or some really nice seaweed. <laughs> and so yes. that kind of inspired me to get back into that groove, and so it's nice to have some sort of clear broth option around that's not super hard to make um for, you know, for whatever that might be, you know, boil some soba noodles and and cut up some broccoli and some scallions or something. Um, And then you have a nice little bowl of noodles. So it's either that or probably something in the like red lentil soup category where it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, dumping some lentils and water into a pot with some sauteed onions and garlic and kind of letting that all stew
1: down. Are you a year-round soup person? I'm like a three-quarters
0: soup person. Like I won't really mess with soup in the summer. Too sweaty for that.
1: Yeah, no. What about you? I've I've recently finally started craving salads again as it's gotten nicer out and mm, uh, the le- the lettuces have been looking quite good. Yeah, I've been I've been doing really simple simple meals, I think similar to you. For me it's like I get this attachment to following recipes and then I realize that I actually can cook pretty well without recipes at this point, which really also took the pandemic for me to, to realize that and to like be working with more limited ingredients and kind of have to adapt things. And, and also that like, it's often just me and my partner and he's not the toughest critic So, (laughs) you know, the other thing I want to ask you is we are on a lot of Zooms together and you always seem to have a delicious snack on hand. <laughs> so, I want to know what are your go to snacks, whether that's store bought, something you always have around? What are you munching? Wow, it's true. Well, it's funny because I'm often not eating a snack during those
0: meetings. I'm just eating like whatever the vaguely appropriate meal of the day to be eating is. But that being said, my favorite snack. These days is um, these really delicious, like salty, thin, crispy Norwegian like flatbread crackers called neckabrod, which I may not be pronouncing correctly at all. Mm, there's a lot of si- there's recommend. a lot of silent ks in there. Um, <laughs> but so I've been eating those, kind of slathered with maybe some hummus or mashed avocado, lemon. Um. So those are very good. And also, um, guess what? I totally destroyed yesterday with my roommate.
1: Um. Wait. Can I guess? Yeah. Give me a cat. Give me a category.
0: Um, things that you've given me recently.
1: <gasps> Honey, mama's chocolate. Yeah, that's the only thing you've <laughs> given me recently. That's <laughs> true. It was an easy, was an easy hit. Um, but it was. Oh my god! So good. So
0: good. I was expecting a chocolate bar. And not so much kind of the hippie brownie vibe that it actually was. And it was just truly so
1: delicious. Honey Mamas made out of Portland, Oregon by just lovely hippies. It's like whipped coconut oil and honey as the base. No like refined sugar, I think. And it's just the texture is like a truffle in a chocolate bar form.
0: So good. I had like a cherry and hazelnut one. And it was really salty
1: too. Yes, yes. Perfect amount of salt in those.
0: So that's peaking my snack life right now. Um, I will be back at your apartment for more of those imminently.
1: I have have a stash (laughs) thanks to Honey Mamas. Okay, last question. If you could say anything to your early March 2020 pre-pandemic self, what do you think it would be?
0: I feel you've become like my guidance counselor now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> me. <laughs> Let me just set the scene. We're sitting in my old apartment, my March 2020 apartment, in what we call WeWork, which Aww. is like the very short-lived uh, co-working experiment before we realized that the pandemic meant that we actually couldn't do that anymore. We had no idea what the year would hold for ourselves. You know, cooking health-wise or otherwise. What do you? What do you wish that someone would have told you then? Mm. Well, number 1, we called it us work. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> We're not a we work. All right, you got to delete me saying we work cuz that's copyrighted.
0: <laughs> um yes, our our short-lived experiment in us work which lasted one one whole day. <laughs> I wish that I had told myself that that like it would be really great to make going out on a little walk as important a daily habit as like brushing your teeth or having coffee. Um, It's also, I think like related to that, that it didn't, it doesn't have to be a one hour walk. It doesn't have to be a 10,000 step a day walk, you know? Yeah. A turnaround the
1: block is fine. It's great. Um, Yeah. My tip for that is um, give yourself like a coffee shop, a destination, like a latte treat at the end of the walk.
0: Well, I have one now that daughter, that wonderful little, coffee shop in our neighborhood is finally oh, open, are they open?
1: Mm-hmm. Nice, so
0: nice that's uh yeah like have a treat walk right <laughs> it's so it's just so important for just feeling a little bit more okay yeah you know I don't well, really have makes, great words of I don't feel like I have great words of wisdom it's like what could I have told her
1: I feel you that's a hard question but also that's like I think a really great answer and really speaks to everything we've been talking about which is like but it For me, not that you asked, but it's having conversations. (laughs) It's cheesy, but it's. I would have told myself to have more conversations like this with people I love um, who are important to me because I think the isolation was something that really got to me. But this conversation has made me feel really good and really great about, I think, the people that we've become in the last year and the sort of journeys that we've begun and... um, I'm just so excited to keep reading your writing and keep continue working with you on these on these health and food journeys we're on.
0: Oh, thanks, Amanda. It's like, um, you know, it's the best thing we do. (laughs) It's truly the thing. uh, It's the best part of my every two weeks that I get to write that newsletter.
1: Well, it's such a pleasure to have it and a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you for thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap on the first episode of the Healthyish Podcast. I hope that this episode brought you some comfort knowing that you're not alone in navigating health and food. Healthy eating looks different for everyone and depends so much on the state of your mind, your body, and the world. I hope you got some inspiration to hop back into the kitchen too. Thank you to our guests, Christina Che and Vanessa Rossetto for joining the show today. You can follow Christina on Instagram at cche, though she's admittedly hardly on there. And you can find Vanessa on Instagram at Vanessa Rissetto RD, or learn more about her practice, Kulina Health, at Kulinahealth.com. If you loved the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us keep putting out the good vibes. For the recipes and stories mentioned in this episode, you can follow HealthyIsh on all social platforms at Healthy underscore-ish, or just visit our website for more. The Healthish Podcast is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhanemi is our senior producer and Morgan Foos is our associate producer. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty and our theme song is by Particle House. A huge thank you to the Pod People production team of Matt Sav and Madison Lusby. From Bon Appetit, June Kim and myself provided editorial direction for the episode. Special thanks to Julie Shen, Ginny Bloom, and Nico Steele. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro. I'll see you next week.